Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I have prayed and pondered earnestly to learn what the Lord would have said on this occasion. And in the early, early hours of the morning, as I tossed and turned in bed and kept my wife awake, <laughs> I concluded uh, upon a subject. I'd like to talk, if I might properly be guided by the Spirit, about what I consider to be the third greatest miracle that has ever occurred in all eternity. This miracle is of such a nature and of such moment that its accomplishment was attended by heavenly choirs who sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. It was attended by an angelic visitant who proclaimed to all of earth's inhabitants that unto us this day in the city of David had been born a Savior who was Christ the Lord. It's clear that if we are to consider this matter, we need a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I, so that what is said may be expressed discreetly and wisely and in harmony with the mind and will of the Lord, and you, so that the thoughts expressed will sink into your hearts and you will have a feeling of their eternal verity. As I analyze and view, it seems to me that the greatest miracle that ever occurred was the miracle of creation, the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, brought us into being, the fact that we exist, that we were born as His Spirit children, and that now we're privileged to abide in mortal tabernacles in the course of a probationary experience. It seems to me that the second greatest miracle that has ever occurred in this or any of God's creations is the atoning sacrifice of His Son, the fact that He came into the world to ransom men from the temporal and spiritual death brought in to this existence by the fall of Adam, the fact that He is reconciling us again to God and making immortality and eternal life available to us. Now, this atoning sacrifice of Christ is the greatest thing that has ever happened since the creation. You probably know that the prophet was asked what are the fundamental principles of your religion? And he responded, The fundamental principles of our religion 
are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he lived, was crucified, died, and resurrected, and all other things that appertain unto our religion are only appendages to it. The very heart and core and center of revealed religion is the atoning sacrifice of Christ. All things rest upon it, all things are operative because of it, and without it there would be nothing. Without it the purposes of creation would be void, they would vanish away, there'd be neither immortality nor eternal life, and the ultimate destiny of all men would to be as Lucifer and his followers are. Well, the underlying foundation upon which the atoning sacrifice of Christ rests is the doctrine of the divine sonship, by which we mean that the Lord Jesus, the firstborn spirit child of the Father, having been foreordained to his mission, was born into this world on the one hand as the Son of God, inheriting thus from his Father the power of immortality, and that he was born on the other hand as the offspring of a mortal woman, inheriting from Mary the power of mortality, thus becoming the one person who has ever lived, who had the power within himself to either live or die as he chose, and therefore the power to work out the infinite and eternal atoning sacrifice upon which all things rest. Now it seems to me that it would be appropriate on this occasion, as we come into the Christmas period, when we gladly and graciously join with all Christendom in commemorating the traditional day of his birth. It seems to me that it would be appropriate for us to talk about the doctrine of his coming into mortality. There are several texts that we might take. One text is the great messianic utterance of Isaiah, these simple words, Who shall declare his generation? Meaning, who shall give his genesis? Who shall reveal his genealogy? Who will give the source from whence he sprang? Who will announce the divinity of the mortal Messiah? We might also take another text, and this is one that Jesus himself spoke. He said, Whose son is he? He said that in this kind of a context. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Whose son is he? Is he the son of a mortal father and a mortal mother? 
Is he the son of God? Is he separate and apart from all mankind by virtue of the birth that was his? Who shall declare his generation? We have an account in the New Testament that begins, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, Matthew writing. And then he proceeds to outline what appears to be the ancestry of the Lord. We can't quite figure how it fits into all things in the form it's come to us. Luke gives another account that does not agree with that in the book of Matthew. We suppose it may be that one of them is a kingly royal genealogy intended to indicate his position and place as the one to sit upon the throne of his father David, the other possibly a genealogy either of Mary or of Joseph. We can't be sure. Uh, you read the commentaries of the world and they talk about uh, the so-called, as they express it, virgin birth as being pious fiction that could not have been known by anyone and that was assumed and became a tradition in the early church. This matter of the genealogy, this matter of the birth of our Lord, is at the heart and core of Christendom. And thanks be to God, by the opening of the heavens and by revelation in our day, we've gained an understanding of what is involved. And as a result, we can put in its proper position and relationship to all things the atoning sacrifice which he wrought. And as a consequence of this, we are in a position to work out our salvation and do the things that we must do if we're to inherit peace and happiness in this life and go on to eternal glory in the life to come. Well, whose son is he? He's the firstborn spirit child of God our Heavenly Father. There's no possible way to conceive of the genealogy, the genesis, the generation of Christ without knowing that God our Father is a personal being in whose image we are created, that he has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, that he's literally, in the most real and personal sense of the word, the father of the spirits of all men, the Lord Jesus, the great Jehovah, the creator of all things under the Father, being the firstborn of all that spirit host. And in that premortal life, when our Father ordained and established a plan of salvation named the Gospel of God, which plan was to enable his spirit children, Christ included, to advance and progress and become like him, in that day he issued a great cry, a great proclamation through the councils of eternity with reference to his plan. He said, Whom shall I send to be my son, to work out the infinite and eternal atoning sacrifice? Whom shall I send to be born into mortality, inheriting from me the power of immortality? Whom shall I send to lay down his life for the sins of men 
and to reconcile fallen man to me. And when that great cry went forth, as you know, there were two volunteers. One stepped forward, the firstborn of the Father, the Lord Jesus, and he said, Here am I. Send me. I will be thy son. And, Father, the honor and the glory be thine in all things. I will do thy will. I will follow thy plan. We'll do all things in harmony with that which thou hast ordained. There was another volunteer, and he said, Here am I, send me, I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. That is, let me replace you and be the exalted and most noble of all persons who live and are. Well, the decree was issued, I will send the first. And that's the day when there was war in heaven, as you know. Well, the first was the Lord Jesus. And so he then became the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the one appointed to come down and do all things needed to put in operation his Father's plan. Now, from that day, from the day of creation on, the prophets foretold his coming and ministry. We call these prophetic utterances messianic prophecies, as, for instance, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Or, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and judgment from henceforth even forever. How many sermons were preached in ancient Israel on these messianic texts we can only imagine. The most perfect of them are found in the Book of Mormon. Here's one that an angel spoke to a Nephite prophet. Behold, the time cometh and is not far distant, that with power the Lord Omnipotent, who reigneth, who was and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men, and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay, and shall go forth amongst men, working mighty miracles such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases. And he shall cast out devils or the evil spirits which dwell in the hearts of the children of men. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, 
so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and his mother shall be called Mary. Well, in due course at the appointed time, in the fullness of the Lord's own time, he was born into the world. Who shall declare his generation? We have attempts made by prophetic writers of old. Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then he recites what happens and quotes the prophetic utterance of Isaiah about the virgin birth. Let me read you the kindred passage in the book of Luke, this one spoken by Gabriel to Mary and following the text which the choir sang to us so beautifully just now. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now I take those two statements, one written by Matthew, the other by Luke, not perhaps perfectly transcribed and recorded for us in their present form. And I read these words spoken by Alma as the Holy Ghost moved upon him. And we see them tying together what Matthew and Luke have written and giving us the accurate and perfect perspective as to the generation of the Lord Jesus. Alma said, Repent ye and prepare the way of the Lord and walk in his paths which are straight. For behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the Son of God cometh upon the face of the earth. For behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers. She being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed, and conceive by the power of the Holy Ghost, and bring forth a son, 
yea, even the Son of God. Now I'd like to call your attention to one other passage, and then we'll see if we know the conclusion and the answer to our query, who shall declare his generation? This is from that wondrous, marvelous vision that Nephi had. He says, I beheld the city of Nazareth, and in the city of Nazareth I beheld a virgin, and she was exceedingly fair and white. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open, and an angel came down and stood before me. And he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, A virgin, most beautiful and fair, above all other virgins. And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? If the angel had asked that of you, what would your answer have been? Nephi was a little hesitant. He knew in part, but not in full. And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. And he said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit. And after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld the virgin again bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Who shall declare his generation? Whose son is he? Well, now it's perfectly clear. On the one hand, he's the son of God, the God who said in messianic vein, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And on the other hand, he's the son of David. He's the son of Mary. He inherited from his father the power of immortality, from his mortal ancestors the power of mortality. Well, how do you know this? How can it be established? We're dealing with spiritual things. Matthew says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And he records it, and he says there was a virgin birth. And the whole world, Christian so-called, contends and is uncertain and has difficult feelings about the passage. And some say, yes, he was born of a virgin, and others say, it was a pious tradition. And then we read the Book of Mormon account, and we discover what the perfect rendition of the doctrine is. Whose son is he, and how do you know it? Paul said a very expressive thing. He said, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. The prophet improved that slightly in the inspired version. 
He said, no man can know that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Well, who shall declare his generation? Whose son is he? We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. We've been called to the place where the heavens are opened, where the gift of the Holy Ghost is poured out bounteously, abundantly, upon all the members of the Church who seek the Lord in integrity and uprightness of heart. We have the gifts of the Spirit. We have the gift of revelation. We know what's involved in these things. Every member of the Church has the hands of a legal administrator placed upon his head, and the decree is issued, Receive the Holy Ghost. And the, this means that we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the right to the constant companionship of that member of the Godhead based on faithfulness. Well, who shall declare his generation? His generation can be declared only by living witnesses who've had the revelation of the Holy Ghost certify to their soul that Jesus is the Lord. There is no possible way to know that he is Christ above all, that all power is resident in him, that he is God's Son, except by the process and means of revelation. And I speak of personal revelation. Peter received a personal revelation as he stood in the presence of the Lord, and it came by the power of the Holy Ghost. And he certified, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and received the blessing of the Lord upon him for the witness that he had borne. Now, if you want to know who's going to declare his generation, the answer is it's the Latter-day Saints, it's the elders of Israel, it's the prophets and apostles who minister among us, it's all of those among us who have lived in such a manner that we know by the whisperings of the Holy Spirit to the Spirit within us that here is eternal verity, that these things are true. Now you can be one as well as I can be one who declares the generation of Jesus Christ, who gives his genealogy, who comes to know in his heart by a power that is beyond intellectuality, by a power that comes from revelation and revelation only, that he is the Lord, that God is his Father. And this is the beginning of a course of personal righteousness. Unless and until we know that Jesus is the Lord, that God is his Father, we do not have testimonies of the truth and divinity of the work. By definition, in our day, a testimony is to know, number one, that Jesus is the Lord, which is the doctrine of the divine sonship. It's to know, number two, that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God and a revealer of the knowledge of Christ and of salvation for us in our day. And it's number three, to know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true and living Church upon the face of the whole earth. 
Now, I'm just one among you. There are thousands of us here congregated in the spirit of worship. We've been speaking, I speaking, and you listening. The Spirit of the Lord has been present. I have given utterance to truths that are eternal, that will endure to all ages, that are the great foundation upon which the cause of truth and righteousness rests. Those truths have sunk into the hearts of all of you who have been endowed with the same spirit, and you know, as I know, that they are true. And so now, in conclusion, I, acting as voice, as mouth, as it were, for you, declare the generation of the Lord Jesus, his genesis, the source from which he sprang. He is God's Son. He was born into this world after the manner of the flesh, with God as his father and Mary as his mother, and inheriting the powers of mortality and immortality thereby, he was able to work out the infinite and eternal atoning sacrifice. He was able to bow in that garden out, outside Jerusalem's walls, that garden called Gethsemane, and take upon himself the sins of all men on conditions of repentance. That act is the greatest miracle of all time since the miracle of creation, and underlying it is the event which we celebrate with the world this coming season, the birth of our Lord into mortality. Is it any wonder that angelic choirs sang glory to God on high and peace to men. That's the message that we proclaim at this season, and we do it with a sure knowledge where off we speak, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.